Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two films, one mainstream, one cult, but both are thematically linked. We discuss them in detail. I'm super excited for today's special Shaw Brothers episode. Uh, Shaw Brothers Productions was a longstanding um, Hong Kong production company. Uh, they made uh, films in Hong Kong and China and kind of all over the place. Lots of Kung Fu films, some horror films, some action films, crime films. They really ran the gamut. And it's it's impossible, in my opinion, not to find films you like in the Shaw Brothers catalog. So we are going to talk about arguably the most famous Kung Fu film of all time, which is a Shaw Brothers production, and that is the 36th Chamber of Shaolin from 1978. And then we are also going to talk about 1983's Shaw Brothers uh, horror martial arts film, The Boxer's Omen. That is possessive. B-O-X-E-R apostrophe S. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited about these. Uh, I, of course, am your host, comedian and film critic Nate Wyckoff. And we are keeping it old school today with our classic lineup of myself and Jeffrey Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? Ah, what's up? You are... Sound good. Tad Mastroianni is also here. How are you doing, Tad? I would like to say namaste, except that I fucking hate it when people say that, so I'm not gonna. Oh, well, I don't see the light in you either, jerk. Um, yeah, no, this is really cool, because... Uh, I actually, I'd seen Boxer's Omen, uh, but even though I've had multiple copies of the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, uh, knowing that it's supposedly excellent, I had never seen it. So uh, I'm really, I know, I'm excited to talk about this. <clears throat> Here's some background before we get in. So although the 36th Chamber of Shaolin is considered probably the pinnacle of uh, Kung Fu films, it is it was never released in the United States officially in its full uncut form and most of the world uh, until 2004. It's about two hours long and the original cuts cut about 30 minutes out of it. Um, it is a very much a journey film. So I can see where they probably were able to cut quite a bit out if they wanted to, but I think that at two hours, it I didn't feel like it was dragging for me. So uh, let's keep it whole. So as a note also, I uh, watched both the subtitled version and the dubbed version. These are This particular release is a really great quality transfer uh, released under the Dragon Dynasty banner. Um, and I, it's the 2004 release. There's often, the purists will say, don't watch the dub. And uh, others will say, well, I'd like to watch my movie and hear it instead of read it. 
I'm going to throw out there, we'll talk about it. There are benefits and minuses to both, especially in this particular dub and subtitle. So that'll be something we can talk about. Just to give a quick run through of the plot as much as possible. <clears throat> this is sort of a historical film. Anyone who's familiar at all with uh, Chinese and Hong Kong history knows that the uh, ancient dynasties, uh, the history has been... Um, mythologized is the way that that lots of historians like to call it although uh people in china and others would like to push back on that saying whose hasn't but what it means is when that's used typically is that it's very hard to know what is real versus what was uh changed via oral and written storytelling so you'll have things that sort of resemble greek and roman mythology mixed in with real life emperors and dynasties so it's hard to know, but this is essentially based off of many of those myths and stories. It follows uh, a young man who during the, uh, the, I believe it's the Qing dynasty, and my pronunciation is terrible in, in Mandarin and Cantonese, so apologies across the board, uh, but that's in English, it's usually spelled Q-I-N-G dynasty, which is sort of, even today, my understanding is, is it's seen as a disaster era in uh in, in chinese history this dynasty was very corrupt um sounds a lot like the trump administration except um the trump administration only felt like it lasted for a, a century uh <clears throat> and it, the in this case the uh manchu uh, as they call them in this film or tartars as they call them in this film uh have been oppressing the huns uh and they are the huns are uh sort of the people who already lived in these areas that have been taken over. So this young uh, man who's under this oppressive rule, uh, he falls in with his teacher, who is a revolutionary. Uh, uh, they call them rebels, really. They're just free living their people. Uh, and the nasty uh, commander of the area's uh, Manchu forces comes down on him and kills the village, kills his father, and uh, this young man escapes going to the nearest Shaolin temple, which he is uh, to understand teaches the best Kung Fu. And his opinion is if he is taught Kung Fu uh, in the Shaolin style, then he can take it outside of the monastery and teach other people so that they can defend themselves against evil and injustice. Well, he does end up sneaking in. The abbot of the monastery takes him in uh, against some other more conservative uh, monk's wishes and eventually he goes through the 35 chambers of shaolin we see about 10 of them in the film but they're really cool uh trials basically that teach uh different things to this young man who is dubbed once he becomes a monk of uh, santi or sandy or there's many english pronunciations i'm sure it's much different elsewhere but <clears throat> this man becomes uh, a very excellent accelerated student jumps through the ranks and eventually he's offered whatever post he wants in the monastery and he says i want to preside over a new chamber the 36th chamber where we can teach outsiders uh because i think it's important that they know kung fu and there's this really cool scene where the abbot chastises him says no and he pushes back and he says but we have this is really important and he's like no get out you've broken our rules you're done but it's kind of like a wink, wink, nod, nod, because this is essentially what Sandy wants, right? He wants to be able to teach people. So his punishment is to, he's forced to leave the monastery and not come back until his coffers are full with donated funds for the monastery. Well, 
of course, what he really does is go out and recruits uh, members to train and rebel and, and ultimately defeat this invading force, the, the head general. Um, Sandy was a real person, it seems, uh, and he is credited with bringing Kung Fu, Shaolin Kung Fu from the monastery to people, uh, secular people. So this is sort of a historical story. Um, some of the figures were real figures or purported or story told real figures. So, but it's also got a lot of things like a little bit of humor um, and these really cool ideas like Sandy developing, um, the, I think it's the coil dragon, the three member fighting stick. Um, that's like a nunchuck, but with an extra piece. So it's like a bow staff that's broken into three uh, and connected by chains. It, it has him creating that, which I don't know that there's any historical back for, but the scene is really cool. Um, neat film of course he eventually defeats the evil general not really a spoiler there um, but we've gone all the way from him being like a humble student to being a disciplined monk to now being a, a teacher with sort of his own reading of what uh, buddhist followers should do um so let's dive right in and talk about this jeff uh had you seen this film before uh and what were you expecting and now that you've seen it what was your takeaway um no i haven't seen this particular film um I, I really haven't watched a lot of old like martial arts films um just generally um but yeah i i i enjoyed how like this one really connects to kind of more modern cinema you'd see like a lot of the influence of this film in the stuff that we watch today um even even stuff that's you know like closer like the karate kid is you know almost um you know like a lot of the kind of the training elements in this film you know you kind of bring that forward into the karate kid where the karate kid was you know you have the wax on wax off in this yep. it's kind of like oh like you're learning how to do kung fu by like running across like trying to run across logs and water um mm -hmm. you know it's like like kind of like that non-obvious connection um, and then they kind of do a, uh, a way of bringing it forward. Um, yeah, I think that's really cool. And by listeners, that amazing sound you're hearing is Jeff's creaky chair as oh, he swings back and forth. <laughs> I can't hear it. I know. <laughs> he's got, he's got these mad, you know, DJ gamer headphones yeah. on, uh, so we can't hear it. Uh, but I just, it's just Jeff's way of saying he loves us. And I apologize. Um, <laughs> I apologize. I got lots of weird noises in this room. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you're right it's so clear watching this film where um, not just martial arts films, but all sorts of films um, in our contemporary lexicon take from this movie um, because you have, it's very much uh, a classical theatrical experience, right? There are three distinct sections to this movie. There's the beginning section where we're seeing oppression uh, and we're seeing this uh, fomenting of rebellion and rebellious ideas of sort of independent thought, freedom, self-governance. And then the middle of the movie, which is the bulk of the movie, is learning this new discipline, right? Because he enters the monastery, a secular person, not part of the faith, really, or, or at least part of the uh, monkhood. And he is taken in and he starts just kind of like, oh, well, I'm going to follow your rules, but I don't really understand if I'm hungry, I'm going to go to the cabin that has food, even if it's for advanced students only, you know what I mean? He does these things, but he's chastised, but he doesn't, he doesn't fight back really. He just adapts. Um, and, and it's sort of, and then he becomes more and more um, uh, skilled, but at the same time, there's this really cool trend where 
he doesn't lose his personal desires uh which is something that i think we don't see in and we don't think of as traditional in in movies involving buddhist monasteries shaolin kung fu things like that because the idea being um and maybe this in the west is heavily because of uh you know the kung fu series with david carradine you know which is i think what a lot of people sort of grew up experiencing kung fu for the first time and is comes with its own problems and and the whitewashing as well but he doesn't um through the entire process prescribe to the as a monk i am not going to touch the outside world no matter how much the outside world might touch me he instead says you know buddha in, buddha insists we destroy evil so if there is evil it is wrong of us to ignore it um and that's an interesting take that that sort of epitomizes this idea of, of his character being like i need to share this with the world this is not just for us and it's an interesting parallel coming from a western culture uh, and a more christian based background here in the united states where um you have the esoteric texts that you know ultimately there are still sects of christianity that uh i mean catholicism for many years did not want clergy to have or be able to understand uh, the text of the Bible, right? Um, it's sort of the idea that why are we holding sacred knowledge um, that was intended for everyone? Like what makes this us more special than them? Um, of course, there are other areas of thought on that uh, from various different people. But it's interesting that in this case, the abbot of this monastery is like, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. No, you can't do that. Wink, wink, nod, nod. But anyway, here's the skills. Um, I'm going to look over here now. <laughs> this is basically his entire take. Uh, Tad, I know that this is uh, probably your favorite Kung Fu movie. What did you feel going into it and come out with this, you know, multiple watchings now? Well, I mean, I honestly don't know how, what um, number this is because I've watched this movie multiple times. In fact, I actually, the last time I watched it was a couple of years ago. My wife sat down and watched it with me this time. Um, and thankfully she didn't need to see the boxer's omen and we'll get to that later. But, uh, <clears throat> um, the thing about, um, this movie that really has always struck, uh, stuck with me for years is, uh, the, un the understanding and, uh, the, the revelation that a lot of times the martial arts really isn't about the physical aspect. Um, for instance, when Santai goes, he's like, I want to go to the top level. You know, he's a, he's a hotshot. He thinks that he can, he can skip the line. He goes to the top level and guess what the top level is studying the sutras all day and memorizing them and reciting them. It's basically Bible study 24 seven. And he's like, wah. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the, that's the top level of almost anything is just understanding, not doing not fighting, fighting at, at that point, when you're, when you're at that, that level fighting is mundane. It's like, who fucking cares who I can punch someone in the face. whoop do doo um, That, that was, that was a, that's one of my favorite moments of the movie, but it's also the, um, the, just, just that whole, you have to, it's the hero's journey. You know, you have to, you have to start somewhere you go to the other place and you bring back the, the, the special knowledge um, it's a, it's a great traditional, uh, hero's journey story. And it's, it's one of those where the, the beginning and the end are sort of just filler to get you in and understand what 
you know, what the monastery is like, what the mentality is like. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good, uh, it's one of those things that made me think very deeply, especially when I was studying martial arts about like, what am I, what are you actually in it for? And to this day, you can go to the Shaolin monastery and you will get different answers uh, from any different abbot there about what, you know, like, do, do you need to understand Buddhism to study Kung Fu? Some will say yes. Some will say absolutely not. There's all kinds of different views, but the root of it, the root of it is, is that it's a personal journey for everybody and that it doesn't really discriminate. It is up to you to figure out what you want out of it. Yeah, I like that idea. And I, you, those, those of you who know me personally beyond the podcast know that my wife uh, is, a, is an advanced yoga practitioner and, and teacher. And it's interesting because, of course, yoga, <clears throat> Kung Fu, you know, and Buddhism and Hinduism, they all, uh, uh, they all sort of come from similar roots and similar regions uh, and, and are changed as they expand outward. Uh, but in yoga, there's the eight limbs. And so oftentimes, especially here in the United States, um, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's the physical practice, right? Is that's what people think of, you know, can I bend this way? Can I hold myself up this way? You know, here's the, the, um, the, the resistance challenge or, or the flexibility challenge in my body. Um, but that's only one limb of eight that make up yoga. So if you, if you dig deeper, there are entire limbs that are absolutely, um, not separate because everything is meant to work holistically together, but are um, separate from a physical practice in and of itself. And so it's, it's sort of that realization um, that uh, Sandi gets in the monastery is what you're talking about. Like, like you said, when he goes, they offer him to go to any level he wants. He's like, well, I want to go to the hardest one. Let's get this done. And he goes, and they're like, how many times have you, you know, uh, have you recited the sutras? Yeah. And he's like, I, I'm, I'm here to learn Kung Fu. And he just goes, get out and like blows yeah. him back, like get out. And he runs out, you know? Um, and also interestingly enough, uh, I don't, I don't know how much they're tied together if they're the same at all, but like the sutras and in, in yoga, as you get, there are sutras that, uh, well, what they say is you essentially can levitate or become invisible, you know, but you must, you must repeat the sutras, you know, this many million times or whatever the case is like, and it's to the point where it's sort of, it sounds crazy to those of us who don't have a spiritual belief system that, that involves that. But at the same time, who's said it a thousand, uh, you know, a million times. Well, I haven't, you know what I mean? At a certain level, you get to these, these levels of, um, uh, discipline that you're like, well, you know what, maybe at that level, there is something that I just don't understand because it's beyond the normal person. And that's sort of Sandy's journey, right? He becomes through discipline and focus um, and also some creative thought, right? Some thinking outside the box uh, to problem solve. He becomes beyond the normal person, uh, which is a sort of a, a, an important aspect of Buddhism, right? Like Buddha uh, it re reached enlightenment. Um, and, and that's, you know, he is at that point beyond humankind. Like he's, he's the next level of, of uh, awareness or uh, whatever. And some interesting, that brings into the, the translation. One of the most interesting things I noticed when I, I was going through the, um, the official, uh, and I actually went through two different subtitles, but the more official one that came in the, in the, the most recent releases in the subtitles versus the dub. Of course, the dub, this is a 70s dub. So it's, 
very much you get like these super everybody who's an official quote unquote has like a weird british accent everyone who is like a a, a teacher or a goofball has like this super like high weird voice um it's just it's very common to those of us who who watch sort of drive-in kung fu movies um and then the dub and they speak that way too right the the, the officials speak with like a british language you know they, they they talk like royal officers of the navy kind of thing um but in the the subtitle translation you get some more nuance and at the same time a lot of it was very much an attempt at a direct translation which lost i felt some emotion like the the comedy certainly didn't play um in in the subtitles the way it did in the dub and so i think that they really tried with the dub to actually keep things in tone but there were little things that could mean a lot to someone like uh, when Sandi leaves the monastery and he goes to uh, basically recruit people to overthrow the general, he uh, he shows this one guy who's a, a blacksmith how you know he teaches them a couple of tricks so he can beat up these um, these Manchu military men who are kind of strong arming him, strong arming him, and uh, and he and then the boy takes him to another man who he's like he'll be a good student too, and uh the kid starts arguing like this guy's not a important he's just some monk and um <clears throat> and the blacksmith says no he's and if you listen to the dub he says he's a he's buddha or he's a buddha and uh they refer to him as that whereas in the the subtitles he's referred to as a bodhisattva which is different um a buddha buddha has achieved enlightenment and a bodhisattva has uh is, is very near enlightenment or is withholding from true enlightenment out of mercy for everyone else on earth so they can remain and help and teach people through. So um, it, it, there is a difference and it's, it may be subtle, but considering the film feels like it's trying to educate in a very entertaining way, it's educating the viewer um, on, on some concepts that now I think we take for granted when we watch martial arts movies, like the idea of, the disciplined person who turns the other cheek, like all these things, they come from this style of cinema. Um, we also, I think it's also to be noted that, um, and I'm going to destroy the director's name, uh, Chia Liang Liu, uh, is considered one of the, um, one of the, I'm going to say few directors for Shaw Brothers Productions who thought it was really important to have the the uh the moral tenets of kung fu in the kung fu movies so um unlike what we'll talk about next with boxer's omen which is very much an entertainment film uh i think Liu's intent with this movie was to say if i'm not going to do this movie if it's not treated with reverence you know kung fu and and buddhism and is treated with reverence and that gets to my impression where I, the interesting thing for me watching this movie for, uh, I, I'm guilty, ashamed to say the first time, is the turnaround when Sandi leaves the monastery. I think we expect from Western audience because there's been this extensive presentation of, of Buddhism and monks as nonviolent. Um, and I mean, they are. I'm not saying. I'm not saying Buddha. I'm not saying Buddhism and monks are are violent people. But um, the idea that they sort of can be pushed to a limit, you know, beyond a limit, without any sort of 
of, of pushback or resistance. Um, it's interesting to see a, sort of a historical take on this where that was not a unanimous call, right? Because although Sandy looks like he might have some issue with like the level of brutality of his followers trying to fight the rebellion like when he first comes back and he gets back at the guy who killed his father in his town um he doesn't kill him himself he beats him up but then he pins him with his his staff and the guy who becomes sandy's first follower comes up and hacks to death the man uh saying he's you've killed many of my men and i'll give you a thousand cuts uh, and as as revenge um, and you think that maybe Sandy he looks like he might be a little uncomfortable with that particular but he lets it happen like he is the direct cause of this murder and he claims that he murdered this person later um, when faced with the head general and so this idea that Buddha calls for standing against evil which is much like you know Christians claiming that Christ stands against uh, evil or or uh, Muslims uh, talking about, uh, and, and Islam tenants talking about um, standing against um, powers that are not parallel to, to the belief system of, of the followers of Islam. It's not, it's not individual to um, Judeo-Christian beliefs. This is something that is clearly also esteemed to some level in Buddhism. And there is evil in Buddhism. Uh, not to say Buddhism is evil, but Buddhism as a mythology is not without evil characters. Uh, Mara is like the ultimate evil, right? So it was just fascinating to me to see this presentation of a monk who follows Buddha and also uh, accepts killing as one of his responsibilities by following Buddha. Um, of course, be interested to hear what monks think of that. Also, the uh, initial US release of this film retitled the movie um, into Kung Fu Killer uh, or, or Deadly, Kung, uh, Deadly Kung Fu Killer, um, those two. And so it's, which is a very different um, impression. And I think that probably, and I think it's quite wrong. I think in many times you get, uh, you, you get these retitle things um, where you're like, this is so not this film um, because certainly people die uh, and certainly Sandy does kill uh, people, but it is not about a Kung Fu killer. That doesn't really make any sense. It's, it's so much more than that. So I wonder, it was sort of like a bait and switch, right? I think of the famous Japanese English co-production, um, a famous infamous Japanese uh, American co-production, the revenge of Dr. X in which there is no revenge. There is no Dr. X. Um, it's just the title that they gave this film. So <clears throat> uh, rumors are it's an Ed Wood script, who knows? But I thought that was really fascinating. Um, now let's talk about the fight scenes. Tad, what, what are your feelings on these fight scenes? Because there are quite a few and they span different weapons uh, across the board. For... Um... For me, especially since I'm younger, um, we're used to seeing fight scenes that are a lot faster because we grew up with, you know, Jackie Chan films and then the modern stuff. You know, people are stronger, faster than they were back in the 70s. And these are mostly actors. But um, the fight scenes are well choreographed, but you can tell from the lens of, you know, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s and all that, um, they're slow. 
and methodical, but they're also precise. That's one of the things that I love about um, old martial arts fights is that they're very focused on the choreography and they like to do that all in like one shot. They don't do the like 15 different takes. Like that's a problem that we had in the Iron Fist TV series where it's clear that Finn Jones can't do martial arts. So they just do like 15 different cuts of him doing a kick so that it looks like he is a badass. Whereas a lot of these actors had to do these things in one take. You know, it's, it's much more of a dance of ballet with some weapons and some punches and kicks. But it, even though it's slower, you know, by modern standards, you can tell that there was a lot of choreography involved. And it's, it's one of those things, it's just, it's just that step below a Jackie Chan film where Jackie is doing everything probably in one take, probably also doing it on a broken foot and maybe a punctured lung, who knows? And he's doing it in, with, with, with just absolute expert precision. But this is one of those films it shows you some very accurate, although some very flourish moves as well. Um, a lot of weapon style. So it's, it, you get a little, it's great. You get a little bit of everything, you know, it's like a Vegas buffet of Kung Fu moves. I love the moves in this, in this movie, particularly in um, just, just in the, in the hand to hand, the boxing scene mm -hmm. in the, in the monastery where they're going through it very methodically, very academically, you know, they're reading books and doing the moves. And there is an, a, you know, an instructor coming by and going, nope, that's wrong. You got to hollow out the chest right there. And that's, that's kind of how it is. You know, it's, you, you do that move 1500, 2000, 10,000 times, and someone will still go, oh, by the way, just, just, yeah, just a, just a half of an inch more. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like yoga, like there's always these minute changes, like you, you learn the essential shape and then it's perfecting um, to get the most power, the most leverage, the most balance. And I like that you mentioned the books because that struck me too. So often there's a shorthand now that sort of continues to other um, uh, Eastern martial arts where it's like, um, oh, you have to be blessed in, or there's some mystic change or like in a technological sense in the Bukowski's um, matrix, you know, it's literally downloaded into your brain. Like there are these things that a normal person could not do this. And then you see in the monastery, them literally, yeah, like you said, looking at pictures in a book and copying a picture from a book. <clears throat> um, I like that you mentioned the boxing, of course, we're talking fist martial arts here, um, because I thought those scenes were the fastest which makes sense because when you're working with a weapon or a prop, you don't actually want to physically hurt someone. Um, but the, the, I thought they were quite good. I, th I think my favorite fight is when um, Sandy has created the, the coil dragon, the three stick thing to fight um, the, the master uh, at the temple who fights with two swords. And he continually, the way they show, it reminds me, Jeff, of one of your beloved films, um, uh, uh, what was the, it's the Antonio Banderas. Um, it's, it's not Eaters of the Dead. They changed it from the Stephen King name. What's the name? 13. Oh, 13th Warrior. 13th Warrior. Thank you. It reminds me of when they, how they show via film cuts, Antonio Banderas' character learning the language by he slowly picks up pieces in montages or in a montage as they're talking around a circle. I think he starts to pick out words. Um, it's that sort of, uh, idea as sandy is learning the lessons he sees 
and then he adjusts and he starts to pick up bits and pieces. Um, it's not an all at once. And I like that they show the progression like he's better because he's so driven. And it's kind of gotten up by the Abbott where they're like, you can't, he's told like, you can't, um, it's, you can't be a monk and harbor thoughts of revenge or desire or passion. And he's like, does that mean I can't st study Kung Fu? And he goes, you can study Kung Fu. Where do you want to start? And it's this idea that he is different because he has this passion, which isn't really a Buddhist tenant, right? Like it's, he's still in some ways, even though he's a hero of this film, he's not, which I guess is what I'm getting at with him, you know, killing the general and things. He doesn't seem to be a Buddhist icon. He is um, a citizen icon. Yeah, right. he never loses himself to like the process. Like he yeah. uses the process to become who he needs to be. Right. Like oh, the process. Speaking yeah. of weird name transitions, the ultimate fight. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, it's after, right? Is is it, yeah. there's uh, the the process of learning, right? In this case, uh, he uses that, uh, but he's always he, normally. I, I would assume that the a monk is comes in somehow and they're looking for the enlightenment like that's their goal mm -hmm. like but that's not his goal and he never loses his goal he never loses focus on that um he like never loses himself to um to the system um which i think is interesting and it it creates an interesting tension with like the different uh you know characters of this temple right because right because he could be seen as a villain by the monastery and yeah. being in it like because he's taking this something that's sacred um and he's spreading it to the masses as a weapon to uh to to meddle in the material world essentially um as they call it in the in the dub i think and uh i think it's interesting too to point out that although it's not touched on heavily his teacher when he's going to school before going to the monastery before his village is destroyed it, it's an eth he's an ethics teacher right he's studying ethics and there's this cool discussion uh in the beginning after um there's sort of been this crackdown on the town and Sandy's fleeing with his friend uh who ultimately is killed to let him escape <clears throat> and before they get there he's like um why did i waste my, like his, his friend is like i can't believe i wasted my time with debating right and wrong with ethics when i should have been studying kung fu and he's like and and, and sandy is essentially says it's we have to know right from wrong in order to live in the world he's not even he doesn't even confine it to just um just to 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 use kung fu correctly he's like to to be we need to understand and so it's sort of it pushes i don't know that it's have i don't know that it's touched on as much as it would be if they were to remake this film contemporarily at least in the west um but it, it sort of points to the idea that he's taking this secular wisdom of ethics right like what's fair what's right from a almost a political science concept and pairing it with um advancing as a person and understanding you know the things of the virtues of patience of compassion of um right and wrong and and melding those two together so he comes out more than the monastery uh the monks in the monastery and more than the students in the school he comes out as this fusion of both which is ultimately his goal right to share this with the common people so people can raise themselves without you know uh secluding themselves in this monastery so fascinating fascinating stuff uh i guess 
I just want to mention the transfer. Like I said, this is a beautiful film. Um, the colors are super bright. That Technicolor, uh, uh, the, the, the Shaw scope, as, as Shaw brothers like to call their productions. Um, but it's got this uh, vibrant colors. The blood is that like very 70s, like bright apple red chroma hyped up um, tempera paint. Uh, essentially um, there is blood this film is rated r still by the board i really am not sure why um pro i mean it's uh, violence i assume but it's 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 so tame by today's standards um you know you do have people committing suicide um but it's uh, it, it's interesting because you get also a lot of sort of the, the chinese opera school vibe where people are throwing themselves around a couple of times and it's it just adds to this flavor of, um, of, of another place and another time uh, that sort of makes this all the more powerful historical epic. And I do think this film is an epic. It's a really powerful journey film. Uh, and we get, you know, the end. I will say one interesting thing about this that was weird is the final death blow to the general. They do two freeze frames in quick succession. Um, he hits the general with a blow from his head. Like he puts his head in his stomach and they freeze it. And then he lifts him over his head and presumably throws him and they freeze it. And then it cuts to the future where he's, where Sandy is training students. Very odd, odd choice. I felt, um, I got it, but especially today where we're so used to, uh, like we were talking about Dr. Mordred and the villain getting skewered by a, a reanimated mammoth skeleton, right? Like that's the sort of like big, like, oh, moment that we expect. And so to see this very much like just a visual cue that it's over, that's not spectacular is a little unusual. I don't think it it's in keeping with the film, I think, because, you know, the death blow is not really what he's in it for it's it's the defeat and the the protecting of, of rights and freedom so just thought that's interesting to mention but i i'll start with this recommendation i wholeheartedly recommend the 36th chamber of shaolin um it is it is in the the eponymous book a thousand and one films you must see before you die i think is what it's called uh it's on pretty much every best movie list that includes foreign films and there's a good reason if if you see this movie um you watch it and then you'll know that either I really like Hong Kong um, Kung Fu movies, or if you don't like this movie, you won't like Hong Kong Kung Fu movies. I really think it's that simple. You know, this is sort of the epitome of um, the great things in Hong Kong Kung Fu movies. And I think it's Shaw Brothers greatest production. I'll also say that it is actually um, sort of considered a, a trilogy series. There are two other films. Um, uh, and of course the lead, is um is is he goes in the united states by gordon lu uh is chia hulu uh, or lu chia hu um he goes by gordon Liu, and you'll recognize that name perhaps from the kill bill series tarantino put him in there twice two different characters he plays um pay me the the uh kung fu master uh the the uma thurman's the bride trains with and also one of the i believe one of the henchmen of uh lucy Liu's character i believe uh, Johnny, I think, but really fantastic. Still acting today. Um, he did suffer a stroke in 2013, partially paralyzed. Um, I'm assuming he's still working. So I'm assuming he's had some, um, some rehabilitation, uh, much love to Gordon Liu. He's a really an icon of Hong Kong and Chinese cinema. So 
Um, also, one more thing I'll throw out. I keep throwing in things here. Uh, before uh, I, I pass the recommendation question on, I think it's extra interesting to see this movie as sort of a free state ideology, right? Because um, sort of at the time you were talking, it was, it was post-colonialism from the British in Hong Kong, right? Like Hong Kong had been under British um, uh, rule and it was sort of in response to that. And now Hong Kong is of course still struggling with independence under China. Um, China considers Hong Kong its property and Hong Kong considers itself independent. Um, and I think I'm no expert, but my understanding from, from people I do know who are experts and live there and, and so forth, uh, it's sort of one of those things where it is, the relationship will continue this way so long as Hong Kong is making money for China, uh, which Hong Kong continues to make money for everyone really, uh, except for some people in Hong Kong, unfortunately. But Free Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kong is is one of the cinema icons of the world. I think that we all owe them. Those of us who love cinema owe Hong Kong more than we will ever know. And uh, you know, let them let them have their culture and continue to succeed. And uh, you know, get out of Hong Kong. Okay. So, moving on. Tad, would you recommend the thirty sixth Chamber of of uh, Shaolin, and why? Absolutely. And I don't think I could have summed it up better. If you watch this movie and you decide you don't like it, then you probably don't like Hong Kong Kung Fu films. And that's okay. I will judge you harshly, though. But um, this is this is this is the pinnacle. This is that, you know, there's there's a movie in every genre where someone says you got to watch this movie. This is I'm not telling you you have to watch this movie, but I highly recommend it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and I think and as you, as, you, as you suggest, there is a definitive style to Hong Kong martial arts films. And if it's not your cup of tea, it's very possible. But there's a reason so many people love Kung Fu movies, especially from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. There's a reason that Jackie Chan is a success. There's a reason um, you know, that, that, that later on, Jet Li, Donnie Yen, these, Samuel Hung, um, these people come from this rich filmic background that is about uh it's about uh, theatrics it's about physical movement it's about um bouncing from genre to genre uh giving the audience what they want and giving the audience things they didn't even know they wanted right there's a lot to it so i think that's valid jeff would you recommend the 36th chamber of shaolin to viewers and why or why not um yeah so i i think that the the, the boundary that I would draw on this one, I think that certain things where you go back in time, because this is now, um, uh, you know, what, like 40, 42, 43 years old. It's, it's old. It's, it's a, it's an old film. Um, it, uh, there's like so much content in between now and then. And because it's originally done um, in uh, Mandarin, you you have this problem where uh this movie has been is inspired so many films since then in the english uh, language so um it's kind of like going back and listening like an old record or whatever that like influenced a million people it yeah. feels a little bit like you've seen it before um so if you can't handle that you can't be like oh i've seen this and like maybe it was done better 
Um, you know, I'm doing that in air quotes because, uh, you know, that'd be a very subjective thing. And uh, I think that this movie does a lot of things so well that, you know, it's, it would be hard to argue that somebody's done it better. Um, but you know what I'm saying is, is, yeah. you know, you've seen like a modern version of it with, you know, more technology and stuff. Um, so if you can, if you can go back and listen to old albums and like appreciate like that, everything that you've listened to since then was influenced by this. Uh, this is, this is your cup of tea. You're going to go and you're going to love it. Um, uh, there's, yeah, there's just so many things in this um, that, that are, that are absolutely worth, worth watching. And just quite frankly, it's, it's beautiful. Like the, the, the martial arts are, are gorgeous. And the set pieces, um, the temples, the buildings, the streets. Yeah. Like they, like every single one of those um, like chambers, they really spent a lot of time, like kind of making like an aesthetic and um, like, it, it appears that they use like maybe certain, like areas and they just like you know did a whole thing and then they cleared it out and yeah. then yeah it looked like so. like serious production like amount of like effort and stuff um i think so lush I don't know. yeah is lush is a term that's often used for these movies and i think it's appropriate yeah, yeah. um I, I think you're kind of getting at something too and this is the last word i'll say about this one is that um history plays a big part in I mean, you can appreciate this movie even if you don't understand who's going where, what's going where, what era it is, who's fighting who. Uh, but I think it makes it even better when you do start to get into it, which is why I, you know, in the so many of our podcasts, I just, it's a diatribe that I just spew out for 15 minutes before I let anybody else talk. I know you're saying 15 minutes is, is uh, short selling yourself. But <clears throat> the reason is, is knowing this does, I feel make this better and more impactful. And in the West here, especially in the United States, uh, I can't speak for other Western countries, but our education is sorely, sorely lacking in Eastern uh, history, methodology, advancement, all that sort of stuff. I mean, if you want to know about things like the King Dynasty, you got you to gotta search it out yourself. They will not teach you in school. Of course, there are some select college courses here and there, um, but uh, it's what you got to do. Um, and I think that that's unfortunate. World history really should be world history. Um, and how many more times do we have to learn about the past hundred years of American history? I'm not saying it's not important. It certainly is. But uh, it really narrows the worldview into something that uh, becomes socially and politically damaging. So seek it out. If you see something, if you watch a movie you like and you don't totally understand something, look it up. Seriously, guys, there's there's a wealth of information out there. Um, also, I'm not an expert on most of the things we talk about. So uh, certain aspects of film, I'm unimpeachable. Other things, there's just too much to know everything. If you got a correction, shoot us an email at cultandclassicpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at cultandclassicpodcast. I love being corrected and I can share it, which is content for everyone out there. So kudos. This Kat, is a great week for... Yeah, this is a great week for our uh, Buddhist listeners to, to chime in because this is basically Buddhist week because both of these movies are very heavily Buddhist centric and they're both very supernatural and almost um, comic booky in their depiction of the religion. It's very interesting, especially the next one coming up. Holy yeah. shit. We're going to get right to that. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to tackle 1983 Shaw Brother production, The Boxer's Omen. 
Hey, cult and classic crew, friends and fiends of the pod, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Nate, I don't have any money, and if I did, I'd be spending it on cool things like buttons and custom trading cards and zines that are unique and made each week by the cult and classic podcast family. And guess what? You can do both of those things at once. You can support cultandclassicpodcast.com and get awesome swag like buttons and custom trading cards that are printed on actual trading card stock by actual trading card printers and autographed by the artist and also zines like classic issues of rearted with comics and illustrations and interviews as well as brand new colton classic podcast family publications that uh, are brand new so you'll get them first in line these are awesome, awesome things that you can get just by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get videos of our episodes, you can see all our lovely shining faces, as well as exclusive content like extra episodes, film reviews, book reviews, and things like commentary by us on our short films, which you'll also be able to see. If you want to pay a little more, $5 a month per se, US, then you get an awesome autographed custom trading card. These are official printed uh, at the same place that prints every other trading card you've ever bought, and they're autographed by the artist. These are exclusively for Cult and Classic Podcasts and inspired by our episodes. They, you can't get them anywhere else except through us. Only $5 a month, you get it shipped right to you. Shipping is free. If you pay $10 a month, if you are a true drinker of the Kool-Aid for cultandclassicpodcast.com, then you will get uh, the trading card, access to all of the content that is exclusive to Patreon members, and you will get a brand new zine every month, whether it's a classic uh, copy of Rearded Zine uh, with interviews, comics, art, all sorts of cool stuff, or brand new Colton Classic Podcast family publications. Those will get sent straight to your door. Plus there's usually extras like pins, stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. So you're doing two great things. You are spending money on awesome swag and you are supporting Colton Classic Podcast. I know it's tough right now in the pandemic. If you can do it, join us at Colton Classic Podcast Patreon. If you can't, why don't you recommend it to a friend? We all have those rich friends and uh, they can spread it around a little more. I'm just going to say it. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, Colton Classic Podcast loves you. And we are back, folks. Every once in a while, I try every episode, but every once in a while, a movie comes along that I remember or I or I've just watched and I realize this has to be on the podcast. Um, and the Boxer's Omen from 1983 is one of those movies that before when I was when I was working to launch this podcast, I said, this movie has to be in Colton Classic Podcast. So here uh, near the tail end of our first year, we're finally getting to the Shaw Brothers production, The Boxer's Omen. Now, why, Nathan, is this film so important to be on the show? Well, it is what uh, we lovingly refer to in the film industry as a genre mashup. It is a horror film and a martial arts film. <clears throat> or more accurately, it's Rocky Three, with those weird Hong Kong and Chinese horror films that you maybe stumbled upon late at night on, on a sci-fi channel or USA, like way, way back in, like in, the, in the early 90s, where you're like, why is that vampire wearing a braid and hopping? Um, it's that kind of thing. But with super great Peter Jackson, Dead Alive, 
graphic gore effects that are weird. I, I just abs and it's it's got sex, violence, and black magic and and bizarreness. Um, and I can't wait to talk about this movie. Uh, so the plot there's essentially a movie in the middle, and then there's uh there's a movie at the beginning. <laughs> is, yeah, is there's, there a movie here? There's there are. I'm gonna say there are two movies. Like I said, <laughs> it's Rocky Three. So let's run over Rocky Three real quick. So Rocky Three. Rocky's just fighting schmucks now. He's basically just a, 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 a symbol of, of what he used to be. And um, then Apollo Creed is killed in the ring by Mr. T. And Mr. T is super like, I'm going to beat this guy, but he's not going to fight me. And that's, that's not me mocking Mr. T. He's a, he's a world hero. Um, but <clears throat> finally, uh, he has to Rocky has to come out of essentially retirement and beat Mr. T because Mr. T has killed his master Apollo Creed. In this case, um, Bolo Young, who is such a kung fu legend, this guy has played more villains than um, than than old uh, Ray Liotta. I mean, like, if you seriously, he does not, he's great. And he's done a couple of, uh, you know, hero roles as well. Not in the US though. Um, and I, I think it's because he has this really great smirk. He has a very big mouth that smiles wide and can smirk and can just look so smug. Um, he's also incredibly jacked. Uh, he was marketed early on as the Chinese Hercules. And there's a reason for it. He was a heavy, he was a bodybuilding champ, martial artist, um, just super amazing, uh, super amazing actor and performer <clears throat> and he plays this uh overzealous thai boxer who um out after the fight's over after he's essentially lost he cripples his uh hong kong opponent uh who defeated him and and uh and goes on to fame and acclaim in thailand even though he's he's uh, ruled to have lost in hong kong because you know it was over um it, it turns out this crippled fighter's brother is uh, like a Hong Kong gangster. And uh, he basically is meeting a new little gang lord and about to get killed when this sort of Buddha-ish Bodhisattva figure appears to him, rescues him and says, come with me. <laughs> and well, uh, our hero runs the other way. Well, this sort of thing keeps happening until finally he goes to a monastery when he has a vision um, after he's agreed to fight Bolo Long uh, in front of his, his crippled brother to get revenge. He goes in this monastery and the monk's like, finally, you're here. Well, here's the story, kid. Uh, our abbot recently died, but before he did, he was really close to enlightenment. Problem is he can't reach enlightenment, aka immortality, because an evil sorcerer that he'd killed a minion of poisoned his eyes with magic spiders. Now, don't feel like I'm glossing over stuff, but I'm glossing over stuff. We actually see... Uh, this this minion of this dark uh, sorcerer get killed as a bat and then we see the dark sorcerer do all sorts of black magic to enhance these spiders with the power of evil and then the spiders are lowered down a la um, like ceiling assassin mission impossible style over the monk's eyes and then the spiders inject needles into his eyes so there's there's a lot of shit going on um anyway this monk dies and says, hey, put my body in a thing. How he did that before he died, I'm not sure. But he said, put my body in this urn. And then in three months, uh, this guy will show up and break this open. If I've decomposed, bury me and just move on with your lives. If I'm not, then uh, this guy, 
needs to defeat the sorcerer and I will tell him how from my non-desiccated corpse. Well, this all comes to pass. The guy's like, I haven't decomposed. He looks decomposed to me, but he hasn't decomposed. Um, he's still mostly in one piece. And he says, in a past life, hold your words. <laughs> There's so much to get through. In a past life, uh, we were twins. So we're connected. And I need you to go defeat this ultimate evil guy uh, who killed me. Because if you don't, when I decompose, you'll die because we're connected. Okay, so this guy uh, becomes a monk for three months, abstains from things he loves like sex, and <clears throat> um, then he defeats this sorcerer. Well, the sorcerer had three other henchmen uh, who were all various animals of some kind, lizard and uh, I forget what the others were, a spider and something else. And these guys sort of, they, they pull, it's so much crazy visuals. They pull this corpse-like creature from underneath a dock, ingest it in the belly of a giant crocodile, which Thailand has many crocodiles, although they are severely uh, put upon by, by progress and, and environmental destruction. And uh, she comes out a beautiful sorceress that they send to kill this, this guy. So um, in the middle of this guy's fight with this Thai boxer to avenge his brother, uh, his eyes go crazy. He actually still beats the guy, but then he has to go back to the monastery and be like, look, what's happening? And they're like, don't worry, it's all good. Unless you've broken any of your vows. Like maybe, I don't know, having sex with your beautiful girlfriend. Well, sure enough, he has, but he says, no, that's a problem. He's lied in front of the Buddha. Now nothing can be done unless he gets the golden ashes, which are this, uh, some sort of, Tad's losing it right it's now. It's a relic. It's a relic. Yes. It's a relic from an underground Buddhist temple in Thailand. So he goes to do this and then he, he faces he faces off with the this this beautiful sorceress creation um in front of this relic. Ultimately, spoiler alert, he gets the relic, kind of it's crazy, uh, and then uh, defeats them and then presumably goes on to live a life and his his twin from another uh, mother goes on to enlightenment so uh it's really two movies it's this revenge story about about fighters in the ring and then this big story with a bunch of insane insane special effects and black magic i do not know how you could be a person and not be vitally like incredibly charged and interested in what's happening on screen even though the story is bonkers and the narrative structure is out the window because we see flashbacks and, and all sorts of garbage in, in no particular order every single scene has weird 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 shit going on i cannot express to you how weird this is if you like funky stuff in your movies funky practical effect because remember guys there's no 3d in this movie it's all physical practical effects if you like that stuff and you haven't seen the Boxer's Omen, go get the Boxer's Omen. I can't tell you how, if more people had seen this movie, everyone would know the movie because the memes would be endless. Oh my God. Um, so anyway, let's get into some stuff. Tad, what did you expect from this movie? And now do you feel now that you've seen it? So uh, full disclosure to our listeners, when Nate um, gives me a movie that I've never seen before, um, I go by gut instinct. When I see a movie called The Boxer's Omen, I expect this movie to be at least sort of about boxing. And I guess I wasn't disappointed. Um, the main character is a kickboxer. That is about the extent 
of the boxing in this movie, everything else is not about boxing in any <laughs> sense of the fucking word. This movie, all right, so Nate, let, let's let's go through this. I remember, I do love the very classic uh, Peter Jackson's Dead Alive movie. In fact, I, I have talked about the anecdote of me eating a bucket of fried chicken while us watching this movie you, you and uh, our friend mutual friend matt uh were the people to show me that film for the very yeah. first time so yeah. this movie is worse than a cronenberg movie in terms of body horror this is like essential <laughs> ultimate body horror this is and this sort of ties into buddhism in the sense that you know, existence is suffering. Life is beautiful in some aspects, but life is also visceral and disgusting in many other levels. This shows you the the, the decay and visceral grossness that you are reviled by when you see rot the 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 rot of life or or the decomposition. There is so much maggot and murder and and just just things just disintegrating in front of your eyes in this movie. It's, it's that very distinct body horror that only Asian cinema can really get to the core of. There is, there is something about a lot of Asian horror that focuses on this, that the, the Western audiences cannot, uh, Western, I should say what the Western industry cannot touch. There is no body horror I've ever seen in my life that can compare to something like this. This movie made me nauseous to watch Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I couldn't look away because at the same time, they did such a great job of balancing the, this is, this is disgusting. And at the same time, these, these, these evil henchmen are batshit insane. <laughs> they have no, like, the, the, like the first real scene is like, I don't remember, a bat shoots out of someone's mouth or something like that. And then it decomposes and then another bat decomposes and then the bat gets up because the guy's like get up you've got shit to do and the bat's trying to walk out the door and the monk's like grabbing a hammer and smashes the bat's skeleton the skeleton the skeleton of the bat's like no i gotta get out of here I'm yeah, like, it's so <laughs> yes so there's this let's just break this down this is one of the things so when <clears throat> basically when our hero arrives at the monastery because of the visions for the first time uh, and and the the current I think it's the current abbot there um, and not the dead twin one when he says like this is what happened he flashes back to when the the dead abbot followed this what turns out to be like a bat creature in a man's form uh, and is a minion of the evil sorcerer he he chases him down uh, hits him with uh, some sort of charm uh, that, that hits him in the forehead and then his body begins to writhe and boil and it's an awesome effect he's green it's very trauma these balloons of skin start to pop all over him and leave. it's bizarre um and then popping he, them as they're popping he's, out. he's, he's like, popping them it's incredible and then um and then he falls over and this this bat puppet crawls out of his mouth the <laughs> the monk just grabs the bat puppet as it tries to fly away, sticks in his pocket, goes home, back to the monastery, um, pins it to a slab with like a, 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 some sort of special dagger, and then does a bunch of chants until it decomposes into the skeleton. Um, this is the point when I tell uh, listeners that, listeners of this podcast know I do not like animal cruelty, and I'm happy to say every single animal in this is not a real animal that has been, except there are two dead chickens. Now, I'm not so particularly concerned about chickens because they're 
appear to have been killed in the regular butcher way. And let's be honest, I know the budget for these movies, even Shaw Brothers movies, which had money, those chickens were eaten. Somebody on set ate those chickens. So <laughs> I'm not concerned about that um, as much. Uh, and so anytime you see things like, and most of the time, uh, while I love the effects and, and like they did a fun job, it's very clear that the creatures are not real creatures. There may be a real bat, but then when they're holding it, it is a toy. Now, that said, I actually don't know how they did a lot of the movement effects. There must have been a lot of puppetry and wire work going on because it is impressive. Um, we're talking about things like when uh, when our hero duels with the evil, the evil priest, and you'll notice I'm not using actual actors' names very much because I could not find uh, a, a, a list of the characters played. I can only find them in Chinese and I do not uh, read, especially not this non-simplified Chinese um, at all. So I only know a couple of the actors in here uh, and, and what they played. But the, the hero and the evil sorcerer, they duel, but they do it on this sort of plane, right? It's sort of the, um, for younger listeners, it's the Luke Skywalker moment in, uh, uh, in the second to last, in The Last Jedi where he's on, he's on an island, but he's dealing with somebody across you know, planets away. It's that. They're in a darkened room, and they both have just their lit altars that they're in front of, and yet they're fighting across this black space. It's super cool. Um, and, like, the, here's the thing I love about this movie. So often, especially in uh, Western and European cinema now, witchcraft black magic these sort of dark arts they are reduced to this they're reduced to uh, a black wig and too much eyeliner like they're so dull non-threatening hot topic ridiculousness this film takes uh the the concept of evil and black magic to this grotesque extreme it is uh, to cast these spells, the sorcerer is biting live rats and spewing the blood over the corpse that he's trying to reanimate over and over again. He's shouting and cursing at it to get up. Um, he is um, he is eating and then vomiting out and then re-eating things Ugh. over and over he, again. He's, um, he's willing to, to, I don't know what the hell he smeared on his throat, but then he puts needles in his head and willing and is willingly separating his head from his body just to strangle someone right. with his so these tendrils, viscera? his hanging tendrils of viscera can strangle. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm going to say, and I know you guys found it grotesque to the point of nausea. That's its intent for sure. As, as a seasoned gore hound, it's so not realistic, but it's the kind I love the most because it's so over the top. It's not trying to be realistic. It's no, trying to be true. outrageous. And it is. And, um, and when the sorcerer is killed and his minions come to sort of get their revenge, it is more of this sort of, I use the term carnal, not in the sexual sense, but it's carnal in like this visceral, primal, hedonistic way. They just have this feast of eating garbage and weirdness and um, monk fruit and then vomiting it out and mixing it in with their spells. Like it's just, it's just sounds and shouts and it's so gritty and gross. It's and I'm like, this is what, I imagine when I think of what something truly unholy is. It's the, it's the, this is, this is an evil that is so pure that you have to be equally purely good. It like, we, we, you can't be like 
wishy-washy like yeah I, I guess I can be the chosen one like no you gotta fully commit because this is the kind of crap that makes you like like you can't fight this without like the distinct polar opposite like you have to be fully committed that's why it's like the moment that that dude went oh yeah I kind of like screwed my girlfriend it's like oh you're out because right. you can't do this you, you yeah. literally can't do it and let's get to that plot point because it's interesting because you kind of it's interesting you kind of feel bad for this guy because he curses at his 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 former life twin he's like you brought me to this and you're kind of right like he did but at the same time you're like okay well the twin said you're gonna die if you don't do this so it's a 50 50 thing right like it is also this guy's a gangster we know this from the beginning of the movie um and so he's this it's sort of like um crank with jason statham he's not a good guy um, he's our hero for the film, but he's not a good guy. And uh, I, I will say, though, he does seem to have um, we don't see that he has a particularly nasty relationship with his girlfriend. Um, she seems to know that he cheats around and acknowledges that they don't even call him a girlfriend. He's just she's just kind of like his his live in sex partner. Um, and she actually is one of the few actresses that I do know the name of. It's uh, it's Y Carman. And she was in. Um, uh, playboy detective and she's been in a lot of films um but many of them have her uh, uh in in some form of sexy role because she is beautiful and um we, we get it's interesting because uh unlike the 36th chamber of shaolin which where love and and sex is so far off the table it's not he's in it for revenge he has such a drone fig it's not even a fraction of interest in this movie in fact there's almost no women i think there's really only one woman uh the, the assistant to the teacher who is killed early on uh, in the entire film really uh, maybe in the background there are others but in this film uh there are two sex scenes they're brief but they are you can call that brief uh the first one's not brief <laughs> the second like a great porno for like three minutes it felt like i i let's put it this way seeing a lot of Asian cinema, um, I don't think this was intended to be, uh, and I'm not trying to be an apologist here, maybe I'm completely wrong. I don't think it was intended to be uh, a forced sex as much as a no. uh, forced sex because of how she reacts to him later. Could be wrong. Um, I love her reaction when he comes back from being a monk oh and makes all the evil's gone. He, he walks, he's like, where have you been? He's like, I've been in Thailand. She's like, I bet you slept with lots of women. If you give me an STD, I'll castrate you. <laughs> I love it. I, 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 I hate the fact that there was no resolution to that because I felt like that was great character development where it's like, she's beautiful and she's clearly sticking with you. Yeah. So are you going to like, kind of like, you know, make her like, your actual like are you going to make some commitment with her and you you don't get any resolution well to that. and this is where i'll say we're assuming that's even what she wants right? right because this guy is a playboy gangster we don't really know like we just don't know the situation also in the beginning sex scene we can potentially assume that this is their little game they play because what starts it is she is undressing in front of him on the couch next to him for no knowable reason. Um, so let's put that. And this is, there's a famous scene that when I first saw this movie, probably way too young, uh, definitely left an impression where um, he, they have sex with her pressed up against the full window. And it's just shot from the outside during the rain with her pressed up against the window. It's, 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 it's something to behold. Um, but the movie is not particularly about sex. We get a shower scene later when he gets back, when he, he has sex with her again, presumably. And it's just a brief little, it's basically just showing us, hey, look, they're sexy and they also had sex. Let's move on. Um, 
and get back to more disintegrating bodies. It's just a spectacle. This movie is a insane spectacle. And it's not just the gruesome effects. The The initial fight scene with Bully Young and, and the lead character's brother is a really cool fight scene. It's interesting because I know I made the reference to Boxy 3 sort of in jest to Rocky 3. It's actually not because it's very much done in the style of Rocky. There's blood spray out the mouth when they turn. There's slow-mo hits. It's very, very much done in U.S. boxing movie inspired way. Um, and I thought it was quite good. The thing is, though, is in the boxing scenes, they they don't just like have a little bit of blood in their mouth and spit it out and have slain around. They have full mouthfuls of water, like fountaining out, which is funny because it looks cool. But where the hell is that supposed to be coming from? I mean, do they do they like just hold a 20 ounce bottle of Aquafina in their mouth when they go in? Like it just it's a little it's a little over the top. And I know that that's what I'm saying is over the top in this movie. But but it was noticeable for me. Um, Jeff, I don't think I asked you what you expected going into this movie and uh, what was your oh, take afterward? Yeah, you could uh, get a, uh, a moment there. Yeah, we could talk about this movie forever because it is weird <laughs> to like the next level. Um, I mean, there's a there's a moment where you have what is essentially like hungry, hungry hippos with like like alligator crocodile. skulls. Yeah, crocodile skull. Uh, which, is, which is special. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's just like i have to wonder like if there's some sort of guinness book of world records for the most number of effects per minute right. or per second in a film like this has to be like like very close to the top if not the top because it's just effect after effect after effect after effect after effect it's just like yeah yeah, like i don't even know how you produce something like this you just like it's you don't even like get your actors in it's just like you're you know your prop department right <laughs> like setting things up in front of the camera all day um is yeah it's it's pretty wild um i i have to say like uh i like i had no idea what i was getting into here um uh, but i have seen um big trouble in little china which mm-hmm. is a john carpenter film yeah, uh, which happened it came out three years after this uh I realized partway through this, I was like, oh, so John Carpenter left this film and then immediately started production. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, I'm not going to say it because I know Jeff is going to say it because I was like, this is the big trouble is the PG-13 version of this fucking movie. Yeah, it really is. And so, so like, I felt like at least like once I got into it, like I was like, oh, okay, I, I know like the genre and like what this is about. Um, But yeah, it's still like, it's it's like it's so much more batshit than like uh, the John Carpenter film. It's like fifty times crazier. But you can you can see the the, the line there. You can see yeah, the thread. And I think you're right. Where it came from. And I think I think it, those people who have seen Peter Jackson's Dead Alive, and of course this is his one of this is his early low budget film. One of them before tackling big projects like The Frighteners and then Lord of the Rings and so on. Um, where he really just let his insane taste fly, like the movie Bad Taste, um, and really worked out his crazy special effects. It's really just like, it's really just a display of that. Um, That's a lot of what this movie felt like. Although, so the director, um, again, sorry for the butchery of the name, but um, Kuei Chi Hong is, uh, or was, he passed away in in LA uh, at 61, I think in 99. But he did 
I would hazard to say most of the supernaturally horror films for Shaw Brothers, and there are uh, quite a few. Um, and and so he was no stranger to this. This was his second to last film. He did a comedy after it. Um, but uh, yeah, he had a, um, the Hex was a big one. Um, I think the biggest one was Corpse Mania. Um, then there was also Hex for Witchcraft, which was a, a kind of a companion film to hex and so he he'd done a lot of these for them and the special effects were something that you know i mean they're head and shoulder this is this is five years after the 36th chamber of shaolin and the fact that it's the same production house but they're such insanely radically different films i mean as you said tad they both uh have a lot of of buddhist imagery and and, and theology worked in there um they're they're utterly different i mean the 36th chamber of Shaolin takes a very high road with uh, you know, it's very highbrow. Like there's a, a message and there's lessons learned. Whereas the boxer's omen is um, tasteless and over the top and uh, gory and sexy and um, has, you know, our hero trashes the Buddhist temple until, until his, his dead counterpart finally talks to him again. Like it just, it's, it's even, even I as a I'm not a Buddhist even though I have you know at least researched it on a on a on a specific level. Even that scene is uncomfortable. Like <laughs> it's a you know, weird. like you're, tra- you're like you're in the middle of trashing a it's like oh this is feels. My weird. guess is also that it is actually not in the in a temple. Um, just by the assumption that so we can talk about his dead his dead counterpart uh, who talks to him. He's a giant costumed or puppet i think he's a costume um but he's he's uh like this this drying corpse sitting on a on an altar and um it's quite i thought it was well done it's it's funky looking um and it does look like a little mummified person and um so the fact that that's there in and of itself i'm going to assume that it's not actually in a monastery but again i mean we have you know exorcist films made in churches in the united states and in you and in europe i i I don't put it past anybody from getting something filmed somewhere. So um, I think it was Kathleen Madigan who said that uh, it's like Satan could tour the Vatican, you know, as long as he had 50 bucks, like, you know, um, it's like, so, so I don't put it past anybody, but that was interesting. And it was, you just didn't really, I didn't, I found myself not really knowing how to feel about it because I understand the frustration of the hero. Cause I mean, I don't know. They didn't tell him he had to retain his vows forever. Like, uh, and had to be a monk forever like yet at the same time you're like well you're kind of being a dick about it what choice do you have right like just do what he says and go on with your life um but yeah no this movie is crazy i i don't i don't know what else to say really about it there's so many so the the sorceress we can talk about her a little bit um another beautiful woman i don't know the actress for this but i saw it and i was like oh this was a heavily um inspiration for uh um suicide squads interpretation of the enchantress um it's very much um the gold the sort of bronze skin flowy tapestry hanging off and always moving a little bit um and of course and and i actually that was by far my favorite part um of that film was the enchantress character um as I pull it up here for my own reference and I saw it and I was like, Oh, this is, I can't imagine that David Ayer or somebody in the design department didn't see 
this before because i know i've read the comics i know what enchantress the various incarnations what she looked like and this one is still closer than any of those um and a shout out to uh, uh, uh my brain is melting Kara uh, delavine who who played enchantress in that movie and i thought she did a fantastic she was, she was by far a standout part of that but i saw it and i'm like this has been used elsewhere so many times before. You could even potentially, you can see this sort of femme fatale, this just a, she's sort of a non-character, right? In a way, she doesn't speak really. She just laughs. She's like a magical incantation. And, but she's also highly sexual. Like she shoots her arms off at uh, the hero, which claw his, his, his chest and breasts and pinch his nipples. And then um, when he comes at her, the arms come back, pin him down, and she clamps her knees and thighs around his head and does like this shimmy shake jig back and forth, which is hilarious. And we get these like super um, sexploitation low angle shots where it just stares up her body as she just gyrates over and over again. I mean, it's nothing, it's nothing X-rated or even R-rated at this point, but it's, um, it's, it's just, you looked at it and you're like, oh, this movie was for the teenagers and the weirdos like which i i was i was one and we were both at one point yeah so it's like so it's just this movie was made for such a different audience than the 36 chambers of shaolin and it's fascinating that as i said at the beginning of this episode the shaw brothers productions had everything everything you could think of they tackled that genre and so if you see one and you don't like it try a different genre in their boat in their wheelhouse because you're gonna find something that that floats your boat so i don't think we can really do justice to how crazy this movie is i just recommend um i'm gonna give my recommendation first again here the boxer's omen 1983 uh, if you liked anything that we described if you like homegrown effects that are taken to like an artful level if you like um weird black magic occulty stuff uh, in your movies and if you also enjoy um, Bolo Young from, from Bloodsport and many other amazing films, then give it a shot. It's, it's totally wild, totally wild. Jeff, would you recommend The Boxer's Omen to someone? And if so, why? You're on mute, friend. Yeah. Um, uh, yes but only to a small group of people that uh you know really like that kind of grindhouse gory blah 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 type um horror flick um i i like this type of thing for me like the 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 thing that gets me is i like watching it like kind of like figuring out like how they do the effects um like i I like it kind of like from a like engineering deconstructive um angle like an imagineer's Um, eye you know like how, yeah. how how in the world are they making all of those little worms move when they don't yeah move you know like, like they they have like the the guy like climbing on the ceiling mm-hmm. um and then uh like I, I like i don't know if he's like on the floor that's made look like a ceiling for part of it and then another part like he's like dangling some stuff so he is on like actually affixed to a ceiling at some point uh and you know they have like some spider effect and it's just like it's just like layered on like like i was saying like there's just so many effects in this film it's just like effect on effect on effect so if you like that stuff uh you're just gonna have a lot of fun here because there's just so much to chew on like there's so many 
so many things like um you know like like i don't know how they did the hungry hungry crocodiles but uh <laughs> yep. yeah like i don't know if it was like stop stop motion or which are know, defeated by shoving um uh buddhist icons into their mouth so they can no longer close their mouths and then they just sort of turn around in circles yeah you gotta feed them yeah they like ran away or like he kicked he like <laughs> he threw, knocked something he, he knocked the dead chicken and they ran yeah yeah the yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're like and then the sorcerer's like no run the other way attack, attack. I, I, I know I've, I've mentioned it a couple times but i love how the sorcerer and the black magicians they're they're like their main terminology they use to get the spell to work is just shouting curses at it to make it move like get up get they, up they actually up. like flip off at some point yes. like this he is flips a- off the hero at one point it's it's epic and this is a this this movie unlike the 36 chamber of Charlotte, we didn't really mention it's it's a contemporary film so for 1983 it clearly is supposed to have taken place in the 80s um unlike it's not a period piece although now it looks like a period piece <laughs> the Tad. 80s right dad uh would you recommend the boxers omen and if so to who i would tentatively recommend this movie because like i said this is a disgusting movie if you if you have a weak stomach if you um anyone who has listened to our first episode that involved the exorcist three if you have a aversion to the spiritual horror uh sort of like this this felt almost like the exorcist three except with buddhism like the exorcist three is a whole lot of the existential and spiritual fear that we feel when we are if you if you believe in the christian tenets um it's it's that sort of thing it's just that this cranks it up to the extreme um i i never realized that there was such a thing as buddhist horror until i watched this movie this movie feels like uh a template for comic book ish horror uh because the uh the hero gains basically super fucking powers from buddha because he performs some rituals i don't even uh, begin to understand how this works but um it it's it's this movie is kind of terrifying like if you if you're if you're into this sort of spirituality this this is the kind of stuff that like they they did their research and again i encourage any of our buddhist listeners give us give us a give us a heads up and give us some context because um there's so many questions that i have now because i wasn't really aware that there was there was this depth of existential dread when it came to this sort of spirituality but also i mean this is one of those movies if you're interested in the in in the special effects of the 80s if you're if you're looking for the prototypical john carpenter um uh big trouble in little china i mean Jeff nailed it. This, this is, this is the, this is the version that John Carpenter basically went, you know, let's tone this down and make it a little more American and make it a little more funny and it will probably make money. And it totally did. Uh, um, But also, I mean, if you want to learn some uh, Nepalese Buddhist Chinese history in the sort of Nicolas Cage national treasure method, this movie definitely does it because it kind of throws in some some historical and geopolitical stuff in there just as a kind of a flavor to, to break up the madness there. This movie is one of those things like the pacing is so weird. It's like, yeah, I thought this was a kickboxing movie. All of a sudden it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of 36 chamber of Shaolin. Nope. It's, it's straight like body horror. Oh, no, wait, it's spiritual horror. What the fuck is this movie? Yeah. Anyway, 
yes, tentatively, I recommend it. I think if you can stomach this movie, you should absolutely watch it. If I would steer away from it if you don't really dig that sort of visceral horror that that uh, that this genre is known for. I, I got the perfect answer. Go watch uh, Big Trouble, Little China. Uh, and then if that movie is not batshit enough for you, if that movie is not like go. art housey enough for you, and you you like you want really that crank it up a little bit, you know that like my skin's crawling type feeling. Trail eating. Go go watch Foxer's Zone. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say this is actually the perfect movie when you have a bunch of friends over and their um, their significant others that you may or may not know that well, and you guys order pizza this is the movie you watch because you will quickly find out the tastes of all your friends and acquaintances and they will learn yours very quickly because and this, if they don't like it they're gonna fucking hate you this, this is an insane <laughs> film and i absolutely love it and i cherish my copy of this movie um and and uh and i will also just mention um the the 36 chamber of shaolin copy what he did was the, as i said the dragon dynasty release and this is the shaw brothers collection release of uh boxer's omen they're they're both about the same time period release this one is still a quite high quality transfer although its restoration is nothing compared to how beautiful the 36 chambers of shaolin uh was done so i would love to see this uh done up a notch this is only subtitled i don't know that a dub of this exists um and uh that's fine the subtitling was actually quite good i will say though the subtitling in this release it doesn't translate everything um, there are lots of shout the spells and things they didn't even bother there's um, so much like dead time where you're like he's just yeah it's especially whenever the the sorcerer is, is talking and i'm like what the fuck is he saying uh, yeah. i guess it doesn't matter what he's saying it, unless he's saying get up or unless he's telling the other guy <laughs> to fuck off Pardon my French. it really doesn't doesn't matter apparently um i mean they took the time in this movie to show like alligators mating I mean, they, they this did. movie has That's everything. Two, two separate pairs. Uh, of, yeah, they're actually they're crocodiles, friend. Crocodiles, Mister. Some. Um, yeah, no, it, it's interesting. And um, <laughs> watching watching the sexy sorceress get birthed nude out of the sewn oh up God. stomach of a full size alligator um, doll is is amazing and then when she's defeated and this is not a spoiler but when she's defeated watching her give birth to three placenta sacs that become saran wrapped magicians that are then destroyed uh i, I just i can't i can't literally you think that i've described all of the things that are crazy in this movie not even scratch the surface not never, even scratch the surface never mind that she got her skin ripped off she writhed yes. around bled blue out of her vagina and then and then disintegrate i'm like what the fuck yeah and i mean we're we're assuming she's a woman we don't really know what she is she was pulled out from under a swamp like a swampy boathouse but it's it's super super bizarre and like i said it's gruesome but nothing looks real it just looks crazy and i love it i absolutely love it and i want one of those full body suits that has like the um the cardiovascular system uh, put on it that looks that looks great go get the the good body suit remember that guy from the 80s it's, it's too much too much work i don't want to do that um yeah so that's it i mean i just as i said I think this is a spectacle movie. If you're like me and you have to see movies that are so, so bizarre that when people have trouble describing them, 
that's the movie I probably have to go see unless it has Terrence Malick's name on it. And this is one that I adore uh, because it's so crazy and um, everyone in it put something of their own in it. There's so much work in this movie. I mean, as crazy as it is, as weird as the pacing is, as narratively broken as the story is at times and all the time, this movie is um, gotta be a labor of love. I can't imagine that people make this movie do not love every second of it. They had to, they absolutely had to. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think, I, again, I think it really was like, like the actors and stuff were like props. I mean, it really was just like the people who were sure. making the films were just doing effect after effect after effect. And yeah, of course they were having a blast. They were just I want, like, I want to throw this in there too. Um, just not to, to, to really harp on um, uh, why Carmen's sexiness, but the fact that this movie had several, like two different decade women in it and they're, I'm not saying they're not sexualized, but they're not presented in like this phony, hyper distorted visuals. Like it's, it's a camera in a room and they're not having women suck their stomachs in. They're not having, and I mean, they're, they're tiny people, but they're not having people shot from one angle. There's no Kardashian cinematography happening here. And it's, it's nice to see something that just doesn't, it's a movie. It's not necessarily supposed to have every scene produced depending on the content. The content of this movie is an exploitation film with lots of gore and a little sex appeal and a little action. Why would they waste their time, you know, doing stupid lighting cues on, on, on her breasts and having her turn this way instead of this way that happens in today's cinema uh, in, in the Western world, at least. And I'm, I live for it. Let's it is drink. very uh, realistic and dangerous sexuality. It's the way I put it. <laughs> Dangerous sexuality. Fair, fair. All right. I'm going to uh, sign us off for this episode of Cult and Classic Podcast. I got to say, The Boxer's Omen really put me in the state of mind. I don't know what's happening anymore. Um, that movie, it's an hour and 40-something minutes of craziness. Uh, if, you, if you want some fantastic um, historical period piece with a mythological flair that's kung fu, go see... Uh, or, or rent or purchase the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. It is an absolute classic and a must-watch for Kung Fu fans. And then uh, if you're in the mood for something utterly bizarre, check out The Boxer's Omen from 1983, another Shaw Brothers film that just, you know, blew the mold away. This is Nate Wyckoff. This has been Colton Classic Podcast. To play us out, as always, we're going to hear the chuds all about evil i want to again remind you that we are online at coltonclassicpodcast.com and on instagram at coltonclassicpodcast give us a follow tell us what you like tell us what you want to see and please leave us reviews this is really important for the growth of the podcast go on google Podcasts or apple Podcasts, itunes uh, or pod addicts anywhere you get your podcasts write us a review and more people will find us thanks hey everyone Thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me. What's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.